a British TV podcast with Chrissy and Ryan. News, reviews, what's on TV this week, DVD releases, and special features all about British TV. Hello and welcome to the British TV podcast. It's show number 75. A little applause from Chrissy there. Mm -hmm. I'm Ryan in Seattle. Chrissy in Seattle. Yeah, 75 weeks. Wow. Yeah. How many hours have I spent on this podcast? (laughs) Many hours. Well, this week's show, we have reviews, news, what's on British TV this week, shows running in the United States, DVD releases, and a feature on Comic Relief. Yay! What have you been up to? I've been reading a lot. Didn't watch a lot of telly this week. I was reading the Hunger Games trilogy, all three of them. Started Friday, finished Sunday. You read three books in three days? Oh, yeah. I tore through them. The hardest part for me for reading is just holding books open because I've got kind of tendonitis hands, but I did it anyway. And Declan, my boy cat who likes to cuddle when I'm on the couch, he was in seventh heaven because he got to sit next to me for big chunks of time being petted. So, Are these next Harry Potter? No, they're not. But they have made the New York Times bestseller list. At least the first two did. She, she cranked them out a lot faster than J.K. Rowling did with Henry. Henry, Harry, 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 Henry, his cousin. (laughs) (laughs) One who's still living underneath the staircase. Yeah. Um, She just, I think there was 2008, 2009, 2010, less than two years between the first and the third of the planned trilogy. But very violent. Oh, my goodness. It's been announced the film will be PG-13 and fans of the books are saying, how can you not make this an R? You're going to ruin it because... It's it's just deathly, deadly. They'll figure out something. We'll see. And every 16-year-old girl in the world who's an actress and so, wants to be the lead character and people who aren't don't have Hollywood agents are making movies and putting them on YouTube and hoping to be spotted that way. Well, so Good luck to them, I today's guess. Today's rumor, it was going to be um, Hermione, Emma Watson. Oh. Yeah, that was today's. Yesterday it was someone else. So we'll see who it will be. You said it's supposed to be a Latina, though. Isn't that the lead? She is supposed to, She's being described as having that seam look. And the seam is kind of the um, poor district of her. It's way, way, way in the future. And America's, the livable parts of America have been divided up into districts. And the seam is kind of the very edge of it where it's fenced. And then there's the forest on the other side and she goes poaching for food for her family but she has the seam look and the seam look is very dark olive skin dark hair and gray eyes and and then the upper the slightly better well off but not really that well off merchant class are the blonde blue-eyed folks so and they've sold the movie rights already i assume oh yeah they sold after the first book so it's being cast now so Kind of fun. Hope we get some Brits in there. Alex Pettifer, is he a Brit? He's, he's. Where do I know him from? Oh, he's, he's sort of in the It Boy, I guess. They've been talking about him lately from some new film he's in. The It Boy? I'm still getting used to Justin Bieber. Well, he's a, yeah, young, youngster. But they're saying he's going to be one of the male leads. It's kind of an unusual book because she has two young men vying for her attention and she really loves them equally and is exasperated with them equally. Wait, wasn't one a vampire and one a werewolf? No, oh wait, no, that's something else. No supernatural. Okay. <laughs> it really is kind of up there till the very end of the whole series who she's going to end up with because she's got two very decent young men who would do anything for her and love her. 
Pick Mr. Darcy. She, she loves them too, so it'll be kind of fun. Again, like when we Harry Potter was in kind of development for the first film, you were saying you were almost sad it couldn't be a really nice long BBC miniseries instead of a film. Or well, if it hadn't been so successful as a book, mm-hmm. I totally believe the BBC would have snatched up the rights and done it as a children's serial because that's what they spent the 80s and 90s doing. Right, like the original Narnia series that went on and on. and Yeah, but they, I mean, yeah. they would put on some really good ones. You know, they had no name cast or anything like that, but they were really well done because you could do it in a long form format. I mean, imagine those movies is done or the books done as, you know, five or six parters. Well, this this could have been done that way as well, but we'll see. Kind of fun. Not British, but I do like to read too. So it's nice to talk about books, even if they're young adult fiction, which I don't read a lot of. I had just read too much about this. was too intrigued. Well, Okay. Well, I have a review, and it's Friday Night Dinner. Mm-hmm. You would think a comedy with Tamsin Grieg, Simon Bird, and Mark Heap would be pretty funny, but so far I've been disappointed by Friday Night Dinner on Channel 4. Hmm. It strikes me as a middle-class version of the royal family, which some people might view as a compliment, but as you'll recall, I was no fan of the royal family. Friday Night Dinner is the weekly sit-down of the Goodman clan, Mum, Dad, and their two sons. Dad is a hard-of-hearing simpleton who is fond of going shirtless around the house. The two 20-something boys like to prank each other by pouring salt in their water glasses. That sounds realistic, actually. Remember, I was a cook at a fraternity. Oh! (laughs) I saw many pranks. They've done it in both the first two episodes, and and invariably leads to spit takes. Mm Mm-hmm. And Mark Heap shows up at their door constantly as the too-friendly neighbor with a dog who clearly wants to be invited to eat with them, but the Goodmans are having none of it. We talked last week about the new wave observational style of sitcoms, but this format was better done by Simon Amstel in Grandma's House, which had better defined characters and was a lot funnier. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Both about Jewish families, but Simon Amstel was onto something there because I just like the idea of the fact of a famous person in a regular sitcom. Because his family were all sort of normal blokes, but the conceit of the show was that their son had been on television and was a well-known person. Well, you know, in Seinfeld, the character of Jerry Seinfeld is supposed to be fairly up there, too. He talks about going on The Tonight Show, but it wasn't really, it was sort of mentioned, but nothing really big made of it other than, oh, yeah, he's a comedian who plays clubs. But it didn't have the same kind of thing where all the other characters are relating to Seinfeld or as they were relating to Simon with just a little bit of extra excitement since one of their own was on television and that was all exciting. But so. the characters that turned up in Grandma's House were very memorable. I mean, the mm-hmm. woman who played his aunt, you know, won a British Comedy Award. Um, oh, well, she won an Olivier last year. <laughs> she's, but she's for this yeah, part. Right. Oh, yeah, that's true. But she, yeah, she's an extremely respected actress. So and then the guy from Brisbane's uh, turned up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, I liked him a lot. He was really funny. Yeah. But again, they mentioned that the character won an Olivier and, and he did. He actually won an Olivier last year. So it was true <laughs> the next year after they filmed it. How yeah. funny is that? Well, we'll see if Friday Night Dinner can uh, uh, improve. And, you know, it's got the, the right people in there. I mean, I like watching them, but it's just not must-see TV quite yet. So we'll see. Well, this week on Twitter... The, our outcast experiment with our video club was successful, although it was requested that have, quote, something funny to counteract its grimness next time. So I promised more QI and Miranda there to kind of soften the blow. 
I have no idea what BBC America is going to do with Outcasts. They have it listed as coming soon on their website, but in theory, so is the third season of Ashes to Ashes. Where's that? Hmm. I think once head office lost faith in the series back in Britain that the enthusiasm was also dampened over here. But I could be wrong. We'll see. But I really got behind on watching stuff last week. Yeah, yeah. For people like Chrissy who've known me for years, I used to be 18 months behind at times. But now five days of backlog seems like an eternity. Well, you've got whole years you ignored. Wasn't it 2000 and 2005 or something 2005, like that? 2005, when I was doing uh, research for yeah. this about the comic relief, I realized, hmm, I never watched comic relief in 2005. I skipped over that. Yes, but Chrissy saw it all. You watched it so I didn't have to. I skipped Saturday completely watching TV because I went mm-hmm. to our local comic book convention, which had 25,000 people at it. Got to see... The cast of Fringe, well, they had uh, John Noble there, and he, of course, was in Lord of the Rings. He played mm-hmm. Denethor, and he plays uh, Walter Bishop in there. And he is a lot younger and funnier in real life than he plays on TV. I mean, I don't know if it's makeup or what, but he's kind of, you know, not quite Hugh Jackman-like, but, you know, with his Australian accent and, and his big smile, and he had his Charlie Brooker hair. Mm-hmm. He was a lot hunkier and younger than he comes across on screen. And they had William Shatner there. I got mm-hmm. to see about 20 minutes of him. He's very entertaining. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I loaned you uh, Henry Rollins talking about William Shatner and saying, you know, he's in his 70s. And about that time, you realize you don't have too many more trips around the park. So he spends his whole life surrounded by people he loves, doing things he likes best. He's got it figured out. So he's a happy man for the most part. So that, that sort of person is going to be so much fun to watch. I uh, also uh, watched the 1971 Doctor Who story, Mind of Evil, for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. It was the last John Pertwee story I'd never seen. And the reason of that was it's not been available in color. The BBC, of course, erased it, and all they had left were the black and white prints that were sent overseas. The only thing that exists is about five minutes of episode six that someone had taped off PBS in the 70s and had it on the end of a tape. And they're going to put it out on DVD sometime in the next two years, because, of course, their goal is that by the anniversary of Doctor Who, every story will be on DVD. So they're going to colorize it? They are, and it's just the method they're going to use. Because in the past, they've come up with this weird voodoo where they're able to read the dots that are in the film print and somehow turn those into color. I don't mm. understand it either. There's technical articles yeah, you can look at. Yeah, because I thought colorizing just sort of died a natural death, but they could probably do a pretty good job nowadays. It's just really expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, there was uh, two episodes of The Invasion, which was a Patrick Troughton story, that were missing, and they actually animated them using the soundtracks mm-hmm. with Cosgrove uh, Hall animation. But the only way they could afford doing that was it was a co-production with BBC Online, which at that point had tons of money and was able to throw stuff, but they, they'd never be able to afford to do that again. So there's several missing stories they're not quite sure what they're going to do with. But yeah, they're going to work out something with uh, Mind of Evil. Yeah, I was reading that every story is at least available in its audio form due to people with tape oh, yes. recorders. Just yes, the BBC the released all those on CDs yeah. ages ago, and you can listen to them. And some have a linking narration and stuff. But So yeah, I finally uh, sat down and watched Mind of Evil, and it stood up pretty well for a 40-year-old program. There was Because it was a six-parter, a lot of characters getting locked up a lot. It did take place in a prison, but the action scenes were great. Hmm. I mean, it as good as anything that's being made nowadays. Got your soldiers running around, gunshots, really quick action, a hmm. lot of quick cuts, and they had dissolves, 
which you don't see a lot in British TV in the early 70s because of the way that studio way it was done. And so when they actually have a deliberate scene where it transitions from one scene to another through the dissolve, you're like, oh, that's very forward thinking of them. So not a perfect story, but uh, a pretty good one. Hooray BBC for doing a live feed of David Williams' 24-hour panel People was available anywhere. Did you catch any of that? No, but I, I will. I will do. I have some that I've downloaded, and then I noticed a bunch is up, at least for now, on YouTube. So, Well, fortunately, uh, in our time zone, it was uh, 4 a.m. to 4 a.m. was because <laughs> it was done from noon to noon in Britain. And I was at the comic book convention most of the day. Then I had to go to a wedding, so I only got to see like about an hour of it live. Is really fascinating because they they had uh, two hosts that were sort of presenting the thing and would urge people to call in and, and stuff, and then they would throw it to the studio and you would see the warm up guy doing his bit and the technicians working on the set because they would use the same set because the audience was just sitting there and they would change around the, the set dressings and the warm up guy would be talking to the audience and then you'd see the actors come in and, and sit down and get ready for it and you'd see the VT get ready to roll and then they would start. But they didn't bring back Angus for Have I Got News For You. Oh, that might have been a coup. Oh, well. Uh, no, I did see uh, Stephen K. Amos present What's My Line, which hasn't mm-hmm. been on in Britain in, in decades. And he did like the first three minutes. And at one point, he's talking, and suddenly you hear these birds chirping. And I'm like, what's that? And then I realized, oh, they're bleeping him. <laughs> and rather than turn the audio down, they just transitioned in some wildlife sounds. And because of that, and then uh, they decided that he was sitting so low behind the podium, it looked like he looked like a school kid. They brought him back, a, they brought him a cushion, had him sit up straighter, and they had to redo the first four minutes of the show. So all the jokes he told, which were exactly the same, no reaction <laughs> from the audience. So you know they were going to sweeten all that. So what's, what of this will be shown that, since they've recorded? It's going to be starting on Sunday on BBC Three. They're going to have a compilation uh, highlights of it oh, okay. uh, for the next for five nights starting on Sunday. Sounds fun. But yeah, they had uh, an episode of QI uh, that had uh, good old uh, Russell Tovey, mm-hmm. first time ever. Yeah, I saw that. And you got to on. see Stephen Fiebe fluster because Russell Tovey would ask him questions and he would go, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and he would shuffle through his cards very quickly. And it, would, you know, it was seeing it as it was recorded. And Russell Tovey, he strikes me. I don't really pay too much attention to what actors are doing behind the scenes, just what they do on screen. But he strikes me as a very nice person who you'd want in your family. You oh, know? yes. He'd always come help you move. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I really just kind of enjoy watching him be himself, too, as well as play um, George. Yeah, they had uh, David Williams in the Alan Davis uh, part, only because Alan Davis wasn't there, only because he was, uh, was his birthday. Oh. So... So that was a lot of fun, and uh, it was really great having that live feed like that. I'm really hoping they do a live feed for Comic Relief, and they don't uh, region block it. So we'll see. So in the news this week... Mm -hmm. Now, normally I'm dead set against remaking British shows, especially ones considered classics. Like The Prisoner. (laughs) Yeah. We know how you liked that one. Oh, that was terrible. And nothing is classier than the 1980s miniseries House of Cards that starred Ian Richardson as an evil politician. But the Social Network director, David Fincher, is going to direct a pilot remake of the series starring, ready for this, Kevin Spacey as the Francis Urquhart character, though presumably he'll be getting a name change for the Americanization. And I have to put myself down as intrigued at this point, 
And hey, you know, if it sucks, nobody's going to bust into my house and take away my videotapes of the original one. Wow. It's an but... interesting group of people doing that. The thing is, is that the first episode was all about the battle for the leadership. And as we talked about during our election show, who's ever the leader of the party that has the most seats in the House of Commons automatically is a prime minister. You don't directly vote for the prime minister. Well, so in, in theory, it, you can replace prime minister anytime, even without an election, if it's done by the, the party. Well, you don't have that here. Obviously, we only elect presidents every four years. You don't get this behind-the-scenes maneuvering going on. I mean, all of the jockeying for position is done in primaries and caucuses, and the media is right there with you. And so I don't know how you could do quite the same him running for rising to power like that because it was all the behind-the-scenes machinations of Whitehall, which is what Michael Dobbs knew all about. Yeah. So we'll, well see how... We shall see. In, yeah, indeed. they're not going to just be able to just go boom, boom, like the Shameless remakes. And, right. Um, well, just... I, I was thinking about when they did State of Play, just all of the bribing the sources for information and taping people without their knowledge. And I was wondering how they were going to get around that. And the answer... And that was interesting because the Washington Post actually ran an article about one of their reporters who was a advisor on the film state of play and he was during the whole thing where they're filming jason bateman as dominic foy the advisor was just going crazy he was going they would never do that they would be fired they would never work again and they finally told him this is a movie you know we paid attention to other things you said but this has to develop this way so this is why we're going to do it so it was kind of interesting how they get around those changes in politics and other things well, they can't deviate too much no. in American politics from what people know. Well, this is the way we choose presidents, so we'll have to see. It was back in the good old days when you used to have the smoke-filled rooms, and mm-hmm. they actually chose the candidates at the conventions. Not that that's been done for over 50 years, but that's you know that, that would have certainly been a place to set something like that. But you know, it's not done that way anymore. The BBC's international iPlayer iPad app will cost less than $10 a month when it launches later this year, according to BBC Director General Mark Thompson. Now, would I pay $10 a month for legal access to iPlayer, assuming, of course, I didn't have to first shell out $499 for an iPad? The answer is whether the international iPlayer is just a rehash of material already shown on BBC America and available on DVD, or will it have today's shows today like the iPlayer works in Britain. Now, of course, last week, the iPad 2 was announced by Steve Jobs, and it goes on sale, I think, Friday. Hmm. And it's a third of the weight, half the size, twice as powerful, will walk the dog for you. An amazing new quantum leap in, in development there. And it's going to be the same price as the old one, which to me would mean it completely renders an iPad 1 obsolete instantly. I mean, why would you buy one when you can, for the same price, buy the one that yeah. does all the, the, the cool stuff? So I have to assume that all the early adopters of the iPad 1 are going to be selling them cheaply and before the price drops to zero. So it might be possible to pick one up on the cheap. I should call our friend Jeff, because I know he's got one, and he is, he is Joe early adopter when it comes to Apple products. But again, what are they going to do with this uh, iPlayer? Is it going to just be stuff that you could buy off iTunes? don't know. See, I've discovered I really don't like watching a television show at my computer. I want to watch it on my television. So, well, one I have of the to things get that around that this new iPad 2 will have is you can for 
I'm sure $29.95, buy a cable that would plug into it and it's HDMI. So you have a high mm-hmm. definition TV, plug into that, you're watching it on your TV. Okay. There's that. So we'll have to see. But yeah, I hope they don't make the mistake of just putting old archive stuff on there because, you know, it'd be easier just to buy a series pass, for example, Doctor Who on iTunes. It'd be cheaper. I noticed if you're Amazon Prime customer, all the Doctor Whos and Torchwoods are there free to watch. Really? Yep. Huh. So, and uh, Amazon Prime is um, $79, and then you get free second-day shipping on whatever you order, and so they've thrown in all these movies and TV shows, and they're really good shows. I was just looking at some of them. Since 2005, all the Doctor Whos and specials and Tarchwood, everything's there to watch free on demand. I know a lot of people have uh, Netflix nowadays and Netflix streaming, and they just... Just today it came out that uh, Facebook has done a deal with uh, some of the studios mm-hmm. to yeah, watch things like that. that. And you can buy Dark Knight right now and watch it through Facebook, some sort of app or something. I haven't seen the technical things of that. And the stock price for Netflix took a real bite because of that. But, you know, it's competition. It's mm-hmm. the American way. QI is being dropped from BBC One and returning to BBC Two. Oh. The last three of its nine series have run in primetime slot on BBC's flagship channel, but series 10, which will air this autumn, is heading for a post-watershed slot on its original home. The show's creator, John Lloyd, said sardonically, quote, QI did very well in the ratings on BBC One, but we thought we'd give Coronation Street a fighting chance. Now, the truth is, a lot of people thought that it had been watered down by having to be a pre-watershed show, and they wanted to go back to being able to be what it was originally. So that's why they went back down to BBC Two. Well, yeah. So I'm not a BBC One snob. I'll watch BBC Two and Three and Four. <laughs> yeah, it's all the same to us, but it, it may affect the ratings. But I mean, it's a cheap show to make. So yeah, Miranda goes to BBC One, and QI goes to BBC Two. So an interesting tweet by Alan Davis, and he was pointing out the ratings of I think Grandma's House episodes, Whites, and something else. And uh, of them, the Whites had the best ratings. He said, but only one of these shows got canned. I know. And he, he was saying that was his favorite role ever. I feel bad for the lad. Well, episodes would have been renewed even if only one person in Britain was watching it because Showtime mm-hmm. is the uh, tail wagging the dog there. You know, if they wanted more episodes, they're going to pay for them. So what's on TV for the week of March 9th to the 15th? On Wednesday, Waterloo Road continues on BBC One. Thursday... Bang Goes, the Winter Weather Special is on BBC One. The science magazine hosts are finding out that more than but talking about the weather, what can people do about it? What can they do about the weather? Dress warmly? Well, it's how you can make, make your own weather like in a lab and things. Oh, okay. I like that show. It's, it's very quick. It's open, the Open University does it, 24 minutes, and, you know, nice young hosts, and they, they do lots of crazy stunts. All righty. ITV One's answer to house is Monroe, starring James Nesbitt as a mean but brilliant surgeon. <laughs> But wait, it's written by Peter Bowker, who gave us Blackpool, Desperate Romantics, and Eric and Ernie, and it co-stars Sarah Parrish, and with Sarah Smart as the patient of the week in the first episode. We did a profile of Sarah Parrish back in show 44. Well, they, if it catches on and runs, then next comic relief, in a couple years, they could be House meets uh, Monroe. And then it'll be a musical number, just like Prime Suspect and Crackers. We're going to talk about that. Ago. All right. Yes, that the, definitely the comparisons are inevitable between the two mm-hmm. shows. But, uh, you know, as you know, I'll watch Sarah Parrish and anything. And Peter Boker has got a right. great, great resume. Well, we got Doc so. Martin. He's a grumpy doc as well, although it's quite a different sort of vibe to that series. And he predates House, I think, doesn't he? 
That's, yeah, maybe about the same. I mean, I to me, Doc Martin is the British version of Northern Exposure, but there you go. There you go. Well, what else is on? 10 O'Clock Live is on Channel 4. Celebrity Juice is on ITV2. Lunch Monkeys finishes its run on BBC3. Skins continues on E4. Friday, Benidorm is on ITV1. Friday Night Dinner continues on Channel 4. The Graham Norton Show is on BBC One with guests Bradley Cooper, Joe Brand, and Blue. On Saturday, Harry Hill's TV Burp is on ITV One. Let's Dance for Comic Relief is on BBC One in the run-up to Red Nose Day on the 18th. Sunday, Time Team continues on Channel 4. Waking the Dead with Trevor Eve begins its ninth and final season on BBC One with a two-part story that concludes Monday. And lots of season finales tonight, beginning with Wild at Heart on ITV1. Being Human brings its Mitchell storyline to a conclusion on BBC3. Yes, I kind of envy you because I watched episode seven last week and I was like, oh my God, what happens next? I can't <laughs> wait seven days. And because you're going to gang them all up and watch yeah. them at once, you'll just be able to go bang, bang, bang. And, right. Well, and I've, seen for, I've seen the first three. So I'm, I'm terribly jealous there. So I'm having to watch the old-fashioned wait-a-week kind of thing. But that's fun because then i got to think about, oh, it's going to happen, right. it's going to happen. That's what I do for Doctor Who, <laughs> especially the end of the series when they have the cliffhangers. <laughs> I have a, another friend who's also an old-time Whovian like you and must know, must find out, must know. We get very silly with the emails there. It's funny you mentioned Doctor Who because I think that's the one show being made on television that is being deliberately made for the DVD market. These serialized shows are designed to have a cliffhanger mm-hmm. and make you wait seven days to see it. I mean, that's part of the fun of it. And then you kind of relax and do other things, and then you get back into the swing of the show. Um, you know, this whole idea of, of mainlining shows on a DVD is, you know, a very recent phenomena. But Stephen Moffat, I think, is making a DVD show. Witness the fact that on the DVDs, they don't even have the next time trailers. It just crashes right into the credits at the end of the thing, and you're into the next show. And with all these little Easter eggs that he puts in there that you're meant to watch it over and over again. Because remember, Doctor Who, like all British television in the 70s, was disposable TV. You either saw it on Saturday night or you didn't see it at all. There were no repeats and there were no videos. What's interesting, I I read some chick lit from time to time, especially the British stuff, when I feel like I just need some fluff in my brain. And a lot of them, I think three times now, some main character and her boyfriend or love interest have gotten a whole series of Doctor Who and watched it straight through a weekend. So that's kind of a thing to do in the UK now. So I Oh think yeah, right. it happens in the 21st Absolutely. century. This is a common mm-hmm. phenomenon. Let's and, watch all of series one this weekend. And I suspect Lost was buying into that as well, that they knew that there was going to be repeat viewers, people were going to watch them again and then be able to have this repeatability to it. But I think Doctor Who is definitely being made that way. That mm. you know, the, the screening on Saturday nights on BBC One is just the, the first step of, of them, that they know people are going to watch them over and over again and things that you will catch the second time through, especially with a time travel series. Well, my friend Mark, who, as I said, goes way back with it and lived in the in the UK in the 70s, was delighted that his, his wife... Loved the new Doctor Who. He didn't think she would, and she loves it dearly. So they, yeah, they watched, um, after last season, they watched all the Matt Smith episodes right away, and then they decided to go back and start with Eccleston and watch everything again. So, Well, it's certainly popular, yep. and I'm all for that, because I love Doctor Who and have for many years. Outcasts is over and out on BBC One. I'm still enjoying it, mm-hmm. although I must 
wonder about their blatant waste of wood and paper. I mean, there's a, a very important plot point in episode seven where a character's handed a sheet of paper and it has some a note, threatening note written on that. But there's no trees on this planet. How precious would a blank sheet of paper be? I mean, they just bring reams and reams of paper from Earth and, you know, what happens when they use? They've been there for 10 years. So things like that it just kind of drives me a little bit nuts. One of the districts in the Hunger Games where waste, you just don't waste anything. Everybody eats in communal dining halls and they won't let you take any food with you. Your, your body is weighed and measured and you're given just enough calories to get to the next meal. And somebody high up gets really angry writing a speech and, and kind of crumples up a piece of paper. And they said everyone else in the room looks at her like she's killed someone. <laughs> so same sort of thing. Maybe we should all be more... Well, I'll have to say Ryan uses both sides of his paper. He draws a little crisscross on the back of last week's script. Ryan's too cheap to buy fresh paper. <laughs> BBC Three begins repeating highlights from David Williams' 24-hour panel people, although it won't be as cool as seeing them streamed live with all the mistakes. Monday, Law & Order UK continues on ITV1. Here's a show I'm excited about, a new mockumentary series called 2012. Begins on BBC Four by John Morton, who did People Like Us. Hugh Bonneville, Olivia Coleman, and Jessica Hines Yay. star as organizers of the 2012 Olympics in London. And David Tennant is the mock narrator. Beautiful. It's, it's on, I don't know why it's on BBC Four. I, no doubt it'll get repeated later on in the summer on uh, BBC Two, probably as a counter-programming to the Olympics. But uh, this should be a fun show. Well, 24-hour panel people highlights will continue on BBC Three. And uh, as well as the conclusion of that Waking the Dead story, and Mrs. Brown's Boys continues on BBC One. Tuesday, Silk is on BBC One. Rupert Penry Jones is a total scumbag in this show. <laughs> I think, oh, they'll make him redeemable. No, no. And I don't quite know what to make of Neil Stook as the clerk at their chambers, because he uh, describes Maxine Peake's character as, she's a racehorse. We have to keep her working hard. You know, She's not a thoroughbred that only goes out once in a while. She must work every day, and therefore mm. you know, we must make sure that she does not make silk. And you're like, ooh, you know, is it for her own good? You know, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Very interesting. Uh, Carolyn Quentin, A Passage Through India, continues on ITV1 Tuesday. Secret Diary of a Call Girl on ITV2 has Belle doing some vampire role play. And more 24-hour party people on BBC Three. In the United States on BBC America, Wednesday reruns The Tudors. And Friday, it's Law and Order UK. Saturday on Being Human sees the return of the werewolves, McNair and Tom, while Annie tries to find Mitchell a living girlfriend. And it's followed by The Graham Norton Show with guests Jimmy Carr and Barry Manilow. Top Gear continues on Monday. And the third season of Merlin continues Friday on Sci-Fi. DVD releases. DL and Pasco Season 3. The Midlands set BBC mystery series starring Colin Buchanan and the great Warren Clark continues. We did a profile on Warren Clark back in show 50. Doctor Who, The Ark, this black and white adventure with the first Doctor spans multi-generations on an interstellar spacecraft. They they land there, they have a two-part adventure, they leave, and they come back, and it's hundreds of years later, but something has changed. So it's a very clever use of time travel in a time travel series. Mm -hmm. Doctor Who, The Seeds of Doom. Tom Baker is the fourth Doctor in the six-part adventure set in Antarctica and the English countryside. 
yes. It's uh, very reminiscent of an old Quatermass story about a mm. plant that might conquer the earth. Judge John Deed, season three, Martin Shaw plays a crime-fighting judge in this BBC mystery series. Time for the feature. Our feature this week is Comic Relief. Every two years, it's Red Nose Day, culminating in a spectacular night of comic relief on the BBC, which will be Friday, March 18th. Here is the history of comic relief, some of its best sketches, what's it all for, and what you can look forward to on the 18th. It's a live telethon to raise money for the charity which supports efforts in Africa as well as around the UK. Many stars donate their time to appear on the broadcast each year, either live in the studio, in sketches, or traveling to Africa to make appeals on location with short films showing the work that Comic Relief does. There are also films that they make around Britain as well. In addition to asking people to phone in donations, you can also buy an actual plastic red nose in the shops to wear, hence Red Nose Day, with the proceeds going to the charity. There are even versions you can attach to the grill of your car. The first Red Nose Day was in 1988, and it included a special version of Blackadder called the Cavalier Years with Rowan Atkinson, Tony Robinson, and Warren Clark. We played a clip of that in our Warren Clark show back in show 50. And it's available on the Blackadder box set. And of course, the original hosts of Comic Relief were Jonathan Ross, Lenny Henry, and Griff Rhys-Jones. Oh, how young they were back then. Red Nose Day returned in 1989 when it started being on every odd-numbered year. Richard Curtis, Blackadder's co-writer, was one of the producers, and Rowan Atkinson was incorporated into a number of the sketches that year, including Master Member and intercutting Rowan seemingly interviewing politicians. So clips from Question Time, asking funny questions, and then, of course, the out-of-context responses. This was the year that Harry Enfield killed off loads of money, the annoying plasterer who was always lording over how much money he had and had become a symbol of Thatcherism. And he was worried about being typecast, so he killed off loads of money. In 1991, comics Hale and Pace recorded the theme tune for that year's event, The Stonk. Hale and Pace had at the time a very successful ITV sketch comedy series that was most famous for appearing to microwave a cat once. There's quite a bit of uh, hue and cry about that, as you might mm -hmm. imagine. Doctor Who fans might recall seeing them in the final Sylvester McCoy story, Survival, that not coincidentally had a cat theme. Now, I haven't seen them on television in ages, although according to Wikipedia, they appeared in the Christmas finale of Extras and are now touring Australia. That year, 1991, sketches included a special Mr. Bean and French and Saunders appearing in the popular BBC sitcom Birds of a Feather. In 1995, Richard Curtis managed to persuade Hugh Grant to appear on Comic Relief. Hugh was riding high from the worldwide success of Four Weddings and a Funeral, and he was still several months away from his infamous arrest in Los Angeles. Don French promised that if a certain amount was raised for Comic Relief that night, that she would get to kiss Hugh Grant. And after a number of comedic false starts, Don and Hugh finally had their kiss, and she milked it for all it was worth. Harry Enfield also participated in Red Nose Day quite a bit, which also included Sir Ian e. McKellen reading Like a Virgin. Very much in the style of Steve Allen, yeah, over and over, that sort of thing. Yes. <laughs> yep. And they've done that on the uh, Big Fat Quiz of the Year, having, I think Ian e. McKellen did it one year. And he then, did, he read um, the late Jade Goody's autobiography yes. <laughs> about ripping her, her white trousers from Topshop. <laughs> there's, there's something irrepressibly funny about great Shakespearean actors reading absolute drivel and doing it completely seriously. 
In the 1997 edition, Anne Robinson got into the act, sending herself up in points of view and appearing in a remake of The Graduate. Mrs. Robinson, get it? Dame Edna hosted the night for a while. And a crossover episode called Bally Kiss Dibley had Father Clifford, played by Stephen Tompkinson, meeting up with Don French's Reverend Geraldine. What do you think about this other thing? I think it's an extremely stupid idea. And remember, I should know. I'm the man who gave the go-ahead to Pop-Tarts. Well, the bishop says the idea of exchange for priests is a brilliant breakthrough for interdenominational understanding, which could bring peace and harmony in this troubled world. So, we get an Irish priest here, and next year you go to Ireland. Yeah. You know, hang out with you two and Van Morrison. And Baldunican. Yes, that's true. And I suppose you'll be wanting this priest to stay with me. No, it's fine. He can stay here. Over my dead body, young lady. Do you think I'm going to leave my unmarried vicar unchaperoned in a house with some Irish Lothario? Calm down, David. All Irish priests are just short, sweaty blokes who don't mind being celibate because, frankly, their chances of getting laid by anything with less than four legs are about the same as my chances of ending up in bed with Damon from Blur. (laughs) Excuse me while I just enjoy that fantasy for a moment. Listen, I am going to be sharing my house with Brother Wendy. <laughs> well, be it on your own head. Where do you say this chap comes from? Oh, some distant, strange corner of the Emerald Isle. Ah, Bally Kiss Angel. No, never heard of it. Bally Kiss Angel? Oh, surely that's a made-up name. <laughs> A special Men Behaving Badly had the boys meeting their dream girl, Kylie Minogue, but not realizing it. They thought that she was Dutch. And Prime Cracker, an elaborate parody featuring Helen Mirren's character meeting Robbie Coltrane's, along with an appearance by Pete Postlethwaite. Three murders, Jane. The public are getting very jumpy. Yeah, well, give me more men and I'll find your man. Always want more, Jane. More resources, more demands. I'll tell you what I'll do. How about I give you one more man? <laughs> what use is one more man? He's a rather special man, Jane. Freelance psychologist specialising in criminal profiles. He's the perfect partner for oh, you. No, no. You must be joking. I know these psycho frauds. You know as much about human behaviour as a man who writes neighbours. Luigi. Um, I think I'll have a... Tomato salad. At your age, weight's a prime concern. Although you will give in to the stodge later. Fettuccine with calamari, I'd say. Very big in the 70s when you were, of course, in your prime. As for the wine, well, normally you wouldn't, but what the hell? Hair of the dog, it's a bugger of a case. Luigi, glass of Chablis for the lady. Am I right, Blondie? Jane, Dr. Eddie Fitzgerald, Fitz. How you doing? Perfectly well without you, thank you very much. Look, I'm a professional copper. I only work with professional coppers. If I need some kind of quack, I prefer Mystic Meg. Well, I thought that went very well. Eventually, they both fall madly in love with each other, and there's an elaborate musical number. We also meet the Sugar Lumps. 
This was Don French, Jennifer Saunders, and Kathy Burke sending up the Spice Girls, who, of course, turned up in person. Comic Relief in 1999 was the first to be streamed over the internet and featured as its highlight the Doctor Who spoof by Stephen Moffat, The Curse of the Fatal Death, with Rowan Atkinson as the Doctor. Planet Tesserus, once home to the Tesserons, the most kindly and peace-loving race I've ever encountered, and yet the most shunned and abhorred species in all history. Why? They could communicate only by precisely modulated gastric emission. Oh, no. Planets of the bottom burgers. So what happened to them? They discovered fire. Oh. <laughs> No doubt, because no one has set foot on this planet for a hundred years, you thought you had escaped my traps of death. But you forget, Doctor, I too have a TARDIS. When you told me to meet you at Castle Tursurus, I simply traveled back in time a hundred years. And I bribed the architect. Say hello to the spikes of doom. Say hello to the sofa of reasonable comfort. Jonathan Price there as the master from 1999 and Julia Sawala as the assistant. I remember trying to watch this postage-stamped streaming video using a dial-up modem that year. Thank goodness when a videotape copy finally arrived in the post. See actually what they looked like. Other highlights in 99 included a special Vicar of Dibley where Don French got to meet Johnny Depp. He was shooting Sleepy Hollow in the UK at the time, although it was a bit of a bait and switch on the part of the BBC. What Depp really wanted was to have a cameo in the fast show. He'd caught a repeat of the telly and he was just like, I want to be in that program. And I think they finally got to do it in a fast show revival yeah, several years put later. Paul Whitehouse in a couple of his movies, too. He really, really thinks he's a fine actor. He's been quoted as, as it, so yeah. gets him some work there on the big screen. So that's a Johnny Depp connection. There was also the cast of Men Behaving Badly in a, quote, lost pilot from the 60s, showing how their series might have looked back then. There were live sketches from the Fast Show cast, a combination of every BBC celebrity panel show called Have I Got Buzzcocks All Over, Steve Coogan as Alan Partridge hosting from Norwich Radio, and even Chris Evans over at Channel 4 got in the act with a special edition of TGI Comic Relief. So it was a very good vintage year that year. It's the only year I've seen Eddie Azard on the show. Well, he did his old Covent Garden street performing gig because about six months earlier, he'd been on TFI Friday and they brought out a unicycle, which he used to be able to ride and he couldn't do it. So he went off and practiced and got a, like an eight foot unicycle and escaped from handcuffs on the top of it. So very impressed. Okay. 2001 saw a celebrity version of Big Brother that locked them up in the house for seven days and let the public vote them out. And Jack D famously won that. Made him quite a, a big star at the time. You know, he won the Celebrity Big Brother. He did, and when he came out, they had his wife waiting for him, and he was laughing and smiling, and he just didn't look like himself at all, but he was just dropping the facade because he had missed her so much and was so happy to be out of the house. I think he tried to escape, and they dragged him back in at one point. Yeah, his persona, if you've never seen Jack D, is kind of a bit of a commercial thing, and no one thought he would ever have enough popularity to win Big Brother, but he did it. 
There was an EastEnders spoof with Mel Smith as a fictional producer trying to manage the Who Shot Phil storyline while fending off Harry Enfield, who wants to be on the show. <laughs> a Pop Stars parody with Rowan Atkinson, mm. Simon Pegg, and Lenny Henry. Robbie Williams met the Fast Show characters Ralph and Ted. Remember he was the handyman there? Yep. <laughs> yes. Ali G interviewed Posh and Bex. Very famous TV moment there. It was. It really raised their uh, status, I think, with the British public because they took it so well. Especially Posh. She came up with some pretty good one-liners. She was wearing that weird leather yeah. bodice thing. It was like a, like a little hanky made of leather yeah, the kind <laughs> strapped of around, around her. Yeah. yeah, I was like, wow. And Graham Norton did a BBC version of his show. He was still on Channel 4 back then. With Matt Lucas and David Williams pretending to be Elton John and his boyfriend. So they're using their rock profile right. characters. Come along, my partner, David Furnish. Yeah, that was my first ever glimpse of rock profiles. And you haven't lived if you haven't seen Matt Lucas play Prince. <laughs> so definitely shades of things to come there. It was. And Peter Serafinowicz was in the Popsters parody. And he did a take. There was a character in the real pop stars named Darius who, when he was told he was leaving the show, started ranting how he was going to he was going to come back and release a number one record on his own and be famous. And, and it was just amazing how accurate it was with uh, Pete. And I've got the two clips of that, actually the real and Pete side by side on a tape. So I'll, I'll sling it up on YouTube. We'll put a link to it. Okay. 2003's highlights included Jack D spending the night atop a pole outside television center (laughs) an elaborate Harry Potter parody starring Don French and Jennifer Saunders with Jeremy Irons as Snape. Yeah. The cast of EastEnders in a decidedly more upbeat version. Rowan Atkinson and Lenny Henry parody the Martin Bashir, Michael Jackson interview. The cast of Avidas and Pet was in a short adventure set in Miami. Ricky Gervais did a video diary and managed to offend just about everyone. Rob Bryden did a live version of Marion and Jeff. And Ali G was at the UN interviewing Boutros Boutros Galley. 2005 had comic relief supporting the Make Poverty History campaign, which I'm sorry, but all I can think of is Frank Gallagher and Shameless ranting, Make Poverty History! Cheaper drugs now! Yep. There were versions of Absolutely Fabulous, The Vicar of Dibley, Green Wing, and Rowan Atkinson as Spider Plant Man, which you've seen and I haven't. Yep, Spider Plant Man. Ah! <laughs> With the accent, you see. In 2007, Catherine Tate was featured in many sketches, including her as Chavi Lauren being confronted by her English teacher, played by David Tennant. And also as a woman whose live-in boyfriend was Daniel Craig, but, quote, she's never heard of him. <laughs> and Lauren visiting Downing Street. Excuse me. Okay, well, I think it should be possible. Excuse me. Yes, yes, okay. Excuse me. Uh, hello? All right. I'm on the phone. I bought you some biscuits. Uh, anyway, I Rich think... Which tea well, is it? Can I phone you back? Was that someone famous? Uh, no. Have you ever seen anyone famous? Well... Who's the most famous person you've ever seen? I really need to get on. But you ain't even told me who the most famous person you've ever seen is. I'm sorry, what's your name? Lauren. Lauren. I'm a bit pushed for time. Shall I tell you mine? Sorry? Shall I tell you who the most famous person I've ever seen is? Okay. This is mental, man. You won't even believe it. 
I was out shopping with Ryan and Lees, they're my brethren, innit? But Lees had mooched off with some chap she met on the bus. She thought I was jealous, but I ain't even jealous, because he was wearing Harry Potter glasses and he had them wheels on his shoes. Warren. Rolling up and down Oxford Street like a numpty. Look. So I goes to her. We're going to be in Nike town, but lose the pikey, because his Healy's going to get stuck in the escalators. Ryan had seen some well-nice trainers in Nike town, and he got a gift voucher for his auntie for his birthday. She ain't really his auntie, she's his dad's girlfriend. We ain't stupid. So we pitch up and we go right down to the children's section, because they're cheaper, aren't they? And Ryan's only short, so his feet are only titchy. You wouldn't think it right, but he's got proper little stumps for his feet, like them Japanese women who wear bandages in bed under their shoes. Lauren. Have you ever been to Centre Parks? We went out at half term, and I was like, this is going to be well dry. But it was all right, you know, because they got 200 different types of restaurants, one for every mood. And they got a swimming pool with a wave machine, a bowling alley, and a tattoo parlour, all under one big roof. It's like butlins, but you don't get wet. Lauren? Yeah. Am I bothered? What? Am I bothered, though? What'd you say? But I ain't bothered. Right, you can't say that. Look at my face. Right, what are you doing? Is my face bothered? No, wait a minute. Does my face look bothered, though? No, are you messing with my mind? Face bothered. Topshop, centre parks, trainers, small feet, rich tea, bandages, Ryan, lease. I ain't bothered. Tony Blair there with Catherine Tate. He was actually pretty funny in that sketch. Mm -hmm. People actually had a more favourable view of him after that. Sting visited the Vicar of Dibley, and Peter Kay and Andy from Little Britain sang a celebrity version of The Proclaimer's 500 Miles. Two years ago, in 2009... David Tennant and Davina McCall were the presenters in the first hour and also participated in a live version of Mastermind. David was very competitive. He does. He gets mad at himself when he gets something wrong. He just grimaces and... There was a charity climb of Mount Kilimanjaro with uh, various celebrities and they raised over three million pounds. French and Saunders reunited for an elaborate parody of Mamma Mia, the Alan Carr famously doing the Colin Firth part, yes. Philip Glenister was doing Pierce Brosnan's part. That's right. And singing just this monotone, going, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> and I think they had a balloon playing, playing the third. I don't know the significance of that. but And Miranda Hart was the uh, director. Oh, that's right, yes, because yep. it was the movie as well as being a, right. a thing. Yeah, there's a special editions of Gavin and Stacey and the Sergey Adventures, which improbably had Ronnie Corbett as a Sylvine. David Mitchell and Robert Webb, who used to write for Armstrong and Miller, teamed up with their respective double acts, although there was a bit of rivalry going on. You know, they'd leave the room, and Alexander Armstrong would go, kill them. <laughs> His popular catchphrase. So that takes us up to this year's event, which will start at 7 p.m. British time on March 18th. Michael McIntyre and Claudia Winkleman will kick off the show, introducing a special edition of Outnumbered, starring tennis player Andy Murray. Stephen Moffat has written a mini Doctor Who episode featuring the Doctor and Amy and, and Amy. <laughs> two Amys? Mm, yes, oh. there's two Amys. Ah. Big Amy, little Amy. Um, something like Time Crash for Children in Need a few years ago. This won't be an out-and-out -out spoof and might be considered canonical by fans. That's a word, new word of the day for me. Ruby Wax, Claudia Winkleminigan, and Miranda Hart will compete in Comic Relief Does Master Chef. At 8.15, Graham Norton and Davina McCall take over the proceedings, introducing the conclusion of a comic relief storyline in EastEnders, a Downton Abbey spoof featuring Jennifer Saunders, Joanna Lumley, and Victoria Wood, plus Ant and Deck race against time to raise money. 9.15 p.m., Dermot O'Leary grasps the reins and welcomes a performance by comedian Peter Kay. 
James Corden returns for the latest installment of Smithy, and Harry Hill is joined by some special friends before Take That and Adele Perform. Yes, speaking of Downton Abbey, they started filming this week on Series 2. At 10.30, Red Nose Day, the event switches over to BBC Two to allow for the news on BBC One. Lenny Henry and Fern Cotton introduce the ultimate Take That tribute group, Fake That. Hey. Comprising James Corden, John Bishop, David Williams, Catherine Tate, and Alan Carr. And there will be a sketch and performance by Miranda Hart. Hooray. Back on BBC One after the news at 11.05 with Jonathan Ross returning to the BBC One with a recap of how David Williams survived being on a variety of panel shows for 24 consecutive hours. Steve Coogan returns with a special edition of I'm Alan Partridge, and the stars of The Inbetweeners embark on a rude road trip across the UK. They're given 24 hours to hit 50 different places that all have sort of double entendre names. Yeah, I, I like what French and Saunders tend to do. Um, I don't think that I don't think Don French is taking part, but Joanna Lumley and Jennifer Saunders are going to do yes, something. Right. Rowan Atkinson didn't do anything last time. He usually yes, first time ever. Him fun. and Lenny Henry mm-hmm. not being uh, making any appearances, but Rowan has really done his bit because he was in there every year doing stuff and not just popping up in a sketch, but doing a very elaborate parody. I like what Ricky Gervais has done some really good skits over the years, so wouldn't mind seeing him do something again. Don't know if he's coming up or not. It was kind of fun. On one one year, he just filmed himself supposedly on being on this luxury trip to New York, being funded by Red Nose Day, just for the sheer um, ability to have this funny video of him enjoying fine hotels and first class service. And that was um, and of course, you know, it wasn't. But at one point, he was in a beautiful hotel somewhere, rolling around on the bed in tears, laughing with David Bowie. But earlier, about a year earlier, Jonathan Ross had given him a kitty on. Friday night with Jonathan and Ross. So when Ricky came back to his house, supposedly after this luxury trip, you could see in the mirror, the kitty all grown up going, Ooh, Ricky's home. Daddy, daddy. It was very <laughs> cute. Yeah, Ryan and I are kitty fanatics. If you haven't uh, figured that out here, me perhaps a little more than you, but you're, you're, you like them a lot too. The other channels have obliged this year by not running any new counter-programming to Comic Relief Night to ensure that as many eyeballs as possible are available to catch the program. Because in the past, they would actually run up you know, new shows or big movies and things like that. And so everyone's cooperating this year. Back when Red Nose Day started, most donations were made by viewers calling in pledges. Nowadays, with mobile phones and texting ubiquitous in Britain, people can donate five pounds simply by sending a text. Very convenient. There's still the phone, of course, and viewers across the world can help by donating at the rednoseday.com website. All these performers work for free to create this great content, so if you've been entertained by it, why not pony up a small donation for Comic Relief, okay? Okay. Now, you've discovered perhaps the strangest Comic <laughs> Relief tie-in product I've ever seen. Why don't you tell us about it? Well, there's, there's four new flavors of Walker's Crisps that have been created just for comic relief for the proceeds to go there. But there's the Stephen Fry up, which I guess would taste like a, a banger and some English bacon and an egg and some beans and tomato. And, and I know that there was the Frank Skinner's TV dinner flavor or, or roast dinner flavor. And then Jimmy Carr has one and I forget the fourth, but yeah. These are potato chips. Potato chips, crisps. And, they, and it has their pictures on them and everything. So Stephen Fry hawking uh, crisps. That's quite amusing. So we look forward to that next week. 
Uh, next week on our show, we're going to do Simon Pegg. Yay, Peggy. Comedian and writer Simon Pegg was a regular on British TV for years. Among other things, he created one of Chrissy's favorite shows ever, Spaced, before he headed off to the big screen. He's currently just filmed, he just wrapped uh, Mission Impossible 3 or 4, 4, I think, yeah, with Tom Cruise, and now he's out and about promoting his new movie, Paul, about an alien on the run, which opens in the U.S. next week. So we'll talk about the British TV career of Simon Pegg in show 76. Yeah, I'll write his website, because they've written me before, because they were so excited about the six pairs of pants. Oh, is there Simon official Simon Pegg website? There is, yeah. He, he blogs on it occasionally. But they were saying they didn't have a copy of Six Pairs of Pants. I would imagine he does. So I don't think he's just, you know, in, I don't know if he pays them. I think it's more hmm. a fan site that he's kind of okay with and will occasionally send messages to. Well, hopefully they will shamelessly promote us. I, you know, we got the unofficial Paul McGann fan site did a little link to us, and the Harry Hill fan site did a link to okay. us, and we actually had a lot of referrals to that. Thank you, Harry Hill fan site. So, yeah, if the Simon Pig guys want to uh, do it as well when our show comes out, that'd be great. Uh, you know, I'm going to mention it on Twitter. I have positive Simon Pig will not retweet that, but you never know. Could be. We'd like you to go visit our website, www.britishtvpodcast.com, and there you can find links to headlines, show notes, what's on TV this week, and archive of our previous 74 shows. And you could follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash brittvpodcast. Right. Uh, if you have any comments or suggestions, send us an email at feedback at britishtvpodcast.com. I guess the, most, the only indirect tweet we got was David Mitchell, right? Didn't uh, one of our guests write him? And Yes, when Dana yeah. was on, she tweeted it, and, and I, his comment was, boy, you guys have a lot of time to watch TV or something like that. <laughs> or we knew a lot, yeah. Let's... Yeah, I don't know if he actually listened to it or not. but It's a hobby. As, as far as I know, we have no celebrity endorsements yet. Oh, well. Yeah, so some uh, kind of cool shows starting up. This uh, 2012 uh, thing is sounds yeah, really good. Yeah, sounds great. And Monroe, even though on the surface it sounds like House, which you know I've only watched House like twice. Uh, and you have a friend who just... I did. I now know two people who have been on house. This was somebody I went to. I switched high school my last year to sing in a, a special choir, but I was in both plays that year. And he was the star of the, the fall play, and I had a small part in it. But then we did a murder mystery musical as the spring play, and he and I were the villains. And so I've got video of us linking arms and doing this really goofy dance in our black villain wear. But he went professional. He went off to Yale and... Uh, he pops up on TV all the time, but he was the patient of the week last week, and he got to do tons of sickbed acting. He got to uh, have rashes and hallucinations and seizures, a couple of those. He had a lumbar puncture and MRI, and his feet turned purple, and he got had a high fever, and he ex-punched his wife when he was having the hallucination, so he got to repent and be sad because he gave her a black eye, and then he died at the end, so it was quite quite the actor's dream if you want to really act very sick and also get to wear a nightshirt and lie in bed for the whole filming just and about Gregory House did not save the day no he came he figured it out too late I didn't realize that happened I thought he was like Marcus Welby that he, he solved every case nope it was it was really maybe an hour too late they they could have saved him but they didn't they were treating one symptom after the other with different suppositions of what it was. Well, that's and, the premise of the show. Yeah. I mean, the ones I've seen, that was, that was what every week. But we'll see what Hum Monroe does. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.